just a privilege of being up here and preaching your word and sharing Jesus with your, with your people. I pray, Lord, that our hearts will be open to receive what you have for us this morning. I pray that your anointing will fall upon all of us, upon our hearts. Uh, that your anointing will fall upon me, Lord, as I bring your word for your glory. Um, thank you, Lord, for uh, willing hearts to serve you. And help us, Lord, to really understand what it means once again to serve you. I know we've heard these messages so many times through the years over and over again. But I pray that there'll be something in this message, Lord, that will be new to a heart uh, will draw people closer to you and they'll understand what it means to follow our King of Kings and Lord of Lords and to reinforce, Lord, what we already know, to live for you, Jesus, each and every day. You're the best. And help us, Lord, to give you our best. In Christ's name, amen. And amen. We're going to continue. We're, I'm, I'm starting a new series called Some Nuggets of the Bible. And uh, we're going to be really sticking to Bible. We should all the time. But we're gonna really going to be focused not necessarily on a particular topic, but on Bible topics as they come along, as the Holy Spirit leads and, and leads me. And so that's what, we're going, that's what we're going to do. But I'm going to start by... Uh, sharing with you that once all villagers all villagers came together and they came together to pray for rain so on the day that they were to pray for rain they all gathered together but only one came with an umbrella you know that's that is expectant faith amen the revelation of Jesus Christ is the central theme of the faith which the church should always proclaim. That's the church's call is to proclaim Christ crucified, Christ resurrected. That's our calling. The other things that come into church, and yes, uh, if we talk about spiritual gifts and using our gifts, absolutely we need to do that, but everything should funnel back to Christ crucified. That's what we should be about. In the book of Corinthians, we're going to be in today, is an interesting uh, church that a boatload of problems sounds very familiar today. That church, sometimes we say the Bible is not relevant for today. Well, just read Corinthians, and boy, I tell you, a lot of what we read today and about that church is happening in our churches. They were struggling. They were struggling spiritually. They were struggling with their, really, their, their growing in their faith. They were, many were very immature. And there were moral failures galore in that church. And all this caused divisions. 
I've shared this with you before, but I don't want you to think, oh, no, here he goes again. He's, he's picking on the churches. First of all, there's not a perfect church. Amen? I want to say that up front. There's not a perfect church. But the church has been going at large, has been going south for years. And it is picking up steam. You know, it is. And, and sometimes we wonder why. There are a lot of reasons. I can't give you all the reasons why, of course, but I can give you some strong reasons this morning which I want to start with. And that is if any of you, if you ever want to do any study on trends, surveys, or whatever, go to where? The Barna studies. George Barna, they are Christian-led. And so whenever I want to know about trends that's going on in the church in that regard, I'll go to the Barna study and see what's going on with the latest thing and to see if my suspicions are true or not. And boy, I tell you, I would, it really sobered me when I heard the, some of the latest. A, a big study from in 2022 is this. One-third, listen, one-third of all pastors in these United States don't read their Bibles during a typical week. 37% of pastors and they barnet it a study with evangelical churches and Christians and 6% of those people don't believe the Bible is relevant. No, 6% believe that it's relevant and the rest don't. This is staggering to me. It just almost, it catches me. I just don't know what to say. I don't know what to say when, when we see that the church of Jesus Christ today, that the majority of the people aren't even involved in church or don't live off the faith. We talk about, I just, now this is where I'm dated, whatever. But there's Zen, I first thought, what is Zen Z? What is, is it Zen? No, Gen Z. Gen Z. I, that's Becca's age group people, right? From, from birth to 25 years old. You know, I just missed it. Being called a Gen Z. And what's sobering about all of this in church is that you young people that are 25 and younger, we got a few here today, you are clearly, clearly a minority. You are clearly minority because most young people are not, they don't want to be in church. They don't want to be in church. They have difficulty understanding God or even want to know a God. And here's another little goody for us as well. That the majority of people that believe in some kind of faith, they believe in that kind of faith, but they believe that that faith covers other faiths as well. In other words, if you're a Christian, then you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. But if you are a, of another persuasion, say a Muslim or a Buddhist or a, I don't know, Jehovah's Witness even, or we're, on, we're going out, aren't we? Oh boy, I'm going to hit on all of them, aren't I? 
Let's throw in the, um, the Mormons and others. It's, that's okay. That faith is legitimate as long as they really follow their faith. Really? Really? That's just out there. And you have leaders and seminaries. They are teaching these uh, future pastors this stuff. And so the pastors are taking this stuff and they're bringing it into their churches after they're ordained or whatever their process is. So you're getting a Christianity that is so messed up through its leaders that they don't know what they believe. There's no conviction. Are you saved? On whose terms? Yours or mine? That's the mindset that has been out there for a large, great period of time. And this is hitting and sweeping across all denominations as well as, in some circles, non-denominational church as well. So you figure, well, I pretty much trashed the church. But it is staggering when you stop and think about it, when you consider that the Bible is our primary source of spiritual nourishment, and yet so many of our leaders, they don't see it that way. They don't even, how can you, it blows my mind, how can a pastor not read the Bible? How can you preach and prepare a message if you're not in the Word? It doesn't make any sense, but that's what Satan is doing in our world today. So, that's just the intro. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And here Paul begins with the gospel message. There's five, five verses. And then if you look at verses 16 through 6 through 16, then he concludes with the wisdom of God which we, we, we will be talking about next, next Sunday. So let's begin by, my first thought is, nothing but the cross. We're going 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to take these by verses here. And so it is with me, brothers and sisters, when I, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the mystery about God. A little side note here, Paul was a genius, the guy was a brilliant scholar. He could have came to any group, talked to any group, and he could have blown him away with all of his wisdom that he had. But what did he say here? I didn't come to you with that. I came for only one reason, to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. And the mystery about God. What is the mystery? That'd be a, you know, that's a, that's a seminary question. If you're up in the hot seat and you're being grilled in your orals to be uh, by your, your fellow uh, pastors and they can ask you any theological understanding, whatever, and somebody says, tell me, what is the mystery of God? How would you respond to that? Who, what is the mystery of God that Paul is talking about? Christ crucified. 
And Christ, this, this is a mystery to those who don't know Christ. This is a mystery to those that don't have the Spirit of God in them. That only becomes relevant into our, into our minds and our hearts as we come and know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen? Okay, so far, so good. So, Paul, listen, Paul referred to himself as an illustration of how God uses the weak. Preaching and teaching the gospel is not only studying and preparing, but it's also spending time in prayer. Prayer and getting ready emotionally. If a pastor is not spending time in prayer over what God wants him to preach or her in some situations, then they're really not walking the way God wants them to walk. There's got to be a unity of connection there between the studying, the preparation, and the praying, 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 praying. I always put praying first. In my preparation, I put prayer first. I'm on my knees, not because I'm so great or think I'm so heavenly or so spiritual, but God puts me there because I want to know what he wants me to say. That's my responsibility. That's anybody that's in any pulpit, whatever you want to call it, that's their responsibility to preach what God wants them to preach on. Because one day, I'm not going to answer to you. I'm going to answer to Christ. What did you preach? On that January, whatever it was, in 2023, remember that? It's so important that we understand this and apply it to our everyday life. It is just so, so important. But Paul says the gospel is more than just a philosophical system or educational exercise, but a statement, a statement of God's revelation in Jesus Christ. That's all fundamental, isn't it? You say, boy, I've heard that like three million times. But Paul constantly comes back to that. He constantly hits. You know what? Paul really, when he's talking, he's, he, I believe that that, Damas- that Damascus uh, experience was always with him because that brought him to Christ. Everything that he had beforehand, all the knowledge, all the wisdom, all the accolades, all of a sudden came to a screeching halt when Jesus Christ came into his heart, that's what established him. And I believe that's what should establish us as well. Amen? Okay. So we're all agree. So John, let's turn off the lights and go home. Verse 2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you. We just talked about that, right? Except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, there's not one perfect pastor. We all know that, don't we? There isn't. Okay. And some people have their favorite pastors, or, you know, if you look at somebody, say, oh, it's, for them it's Billy Graham. And then we say, well, Billy Graham didn't, uh, didn't uh, operate in the gifts of the Spirit. He did. 
but not maybe the necessarily the charismatic gifts. He did not deny the gifts. He just said, I just, God has never given me some of those gifts. Does that make him a bad pastor? Why? He preached Christ crucified. That was it. And, and he used Paul's formula. What was the formula? It's very simple. We're all sinners. And we all need a Savior who died on the cross to redeem sinners from the penalty of sin. That is us in spades. And then he preached a salvation comes from Christ alone. How do we see that differently in the Bible? How can anybody say, therefore, there's different paths to God? There's different ways to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. And Christians out there hear that. And if your pastor or leaders, they're preaching something else, then rebuke them. Call them out. That's wrong. Or get out of that church, you know, as fast as you can. Because that is being preached out there. Just what I just shared with you. All right. I'm not mad. I'm going to go back to verse 1. The mystery about God. Again, it refers to the mystery that God revealed in Christ. Today, we have, I think it's probably when some of you were very young, maybe some of you in your 20s, some of you weren't even born yet, when we started the seeker services, remember seeker friendly and so forth? That's when, that's when it started. You know, you gave up the, you know, the, uh, the slacks if you're a guy, you know, the shirt and tie, you know, whoa, sweater or whatever. And you would go to church wearing sandals, you know, shorts, a T-shirt or whatever, along with this knife. Nothing wrong with that. You go to Willow Creek, you know, in Barrington, that's all you see. Yeah, and the gals wearing their casual uh, uh, outfits as well. What was the purpose of the seeker-sensitive movement? You know, it's you want to try to touch the outsiders, and when they come, you don't want to intimidate them. So what you do is, churches, you take the symbols, the Christian symbols, the cross. Oh, no, we can't have the cross up there. If we want to be seeker-sensitive, we need to take the cross out. Anything, any symbol that, re- that resembles the faith, you, you remove because you want people to feel comfortable when they come. You know, come in casually. And then that's when the music changed, Becca. Back in the day, that's when you start getting contemporary, contemporary, contemporary music. Can't say it. And I affirm it. Absolutely, absolutely. But what I'm saying here is what we've done is we've taken the seeker sensitive, I think, and we've gone to the extreme with it. We've gone to the extreme. It's now performance. So much today we see in performance, especially in your larger churches, and there again, I'm saying, yeah, you know, I'm just saying that maybe you say, hey, I'm right on, then fine. But this is just what I see. And some of you have seen it maybe in your own way as well. We went to a service, and when they started with the worship, 
Oh, the worship was great. You know, the musicians outstanding, the singer, they're singing like birds. And suddenly, we looked up on the stage, this massive stage, and we saw smoke, mist coming up. Ooh. I thought, where are we? You know, what is this? And then in that same church, they had a presentation where they had a chorus line of young girls, young women, on the stage. And let me tell you, they weren't dressed for the occasion. I never saw anything like it in my life. Now, now I had the church lady with me, and so we're looking. I'm a pat. I'm going, whoa, you know, this, this is not right. This isn't right for a zillion reasons why it wasn't right. But see, that is to, they wanted to attract everyone. They wanted to attract the, the non-believer, whatever. We've gone so far, it's becoming so performance. Paul, Paul's calling was to be a witness for Christ, not to be a performer, and he could have been that. He could have blown them away with his eloquence if he wanted to. But that's not what he did. So when churches are doing that kind of stuff, I'm saying that's a shallow, shallow church. They're there just to entertain you. Let us entertain you. You sit back, relax, do a little sway like this, if you like this favorite song or whatever, and just let us with the mist flow and the dancing girls and, and whatever. Boy, I'm really, I'm really bad today. But we saw that their own eyes. I'm sorry, maybe you can correct me, but I don't see Christ in that. I don't see Christ in that. No way, shape, or form. I'm thinking, what about, and that, I was, this is what your pastor was thinking way back then when I, when I witnessed this. I thought to myself, you know, got to watch what I say. As I was trying to engage in worship and when the chorus ladies from Vegas came up <laughs> oh that, that hurt ouch you know I thought to myself what about if someone out there some person some guy or whatever was struggling with sexual issues what kind of witness is that so in closing all those do I'm going to get out of this and you watch and and this is I am a firm believer. If you are married and all those things, if your wife wants to look really nice for you, that is fine in your house. But not in public. There's a time and place, as Paul would say, for everything. And that is it. So I'm not getting into marriage counseling thing about that, but I got a lot of thoughts on that as well. But you see what I'm saying? It's not about performance, it's all about Christ. You know, it's all about Christ. What about that country pastor? And he comes up there and he's got his Bible, and the the Bible looks like it's fallen apart. It's just worn out from reading. And he puts his materials up there, puts his Bible up there, and starts preaching from the Word. That's gold in the eyes of Christ. That is gold. That's what God is looking for. You know, you don't have to be beautiful. 
You know, you don't have to be handsome. You don't have to be so charismatic. You know, I'm I'm tired of people saying, "Oh, that person's charismatic." Oh, what a what? Then you are you worshiping that person? Are you coming to church because that person is good looking or talks really well and just say, well, you know, you know what I'm saying? That oozes all this charismatic stuff. Then you need to readdress and redefine and look at your own faith walk. Why are you coming to church? Amen. I'm not lecturing you guys because you guys are the choir. You know, you guys are the elite. Now don't build it, don't get puffed up. But you are. That's what makes it a blessing to know that I look out and I see so many people that are just love the Lord and are in church for the right, right reasons. Now I want to go into number two. I'm going to call this, I'm going to have a healthy, let's call it spiritual attitude. Verses three through five. Let's jump and put those uh, verses together. Paul said, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a, listen to this, with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul says he came to the Corinthians in weakness, fear, and trembling. He was showing that, that his humanness, his humanness in contrast to God's power. Look at all of my education. Look at all that I have. But it means nothing compared to God. God's power, all I have is absolutely zero. A healthy spiritual attitude points to the power of the gospel every single time. Verse 4. My message and my preaching were not the wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power again, a demonstration of the Spirit's power was what authenticated Paul's ministry and any ministry for that matter. You see, the most powerful argument for the gospel message is not how great or eloquent, you know, a sermon preached is, but it's the changed life. The gospel should change life. That's it. That's the key. That's where all need to be. The pastor that is not reading his Bible, his life, life is not changed for Christ, period. Now, let's go back. Back in the day when I was just a young, strapping, good-looking, you know, pastor, or wannabe pastor, uh, I... Uh, when I went to, as you know, when I went to uh, become a pastor, I was Presbyterian, and you had to go through a lot of, jump a lot of hurdles for that to happen. It was graduate degree, undergraduate and graduate. So I figured, I'm just gonna, I know God called me to be a pastor back then. So I thought, well, I'm going to find, a, find a, a college around here. We lived in the St. Charles at the time, where I could really... Uh, major in, in major in an area where it would really benefit me later on becoming a pastor. So Ernst would love this. I'm talking about Judson College. Go, go Eagles all the way. And so I chose Judson College because at the time their 
they had a, a study. Uh, you could graduate with a, with a degree in religion philosophy. That's what I wanted. I thought that's what I wanted. So I thought, well, this is cool. That's what I'll do. It's a very ev- evangelical school. The pastor's uh, p- professor is very evangelical. It was a great experience for me. I learned a lot of things there. But in, in the area of philosophy, that's where I want to go here. So we had to take a lot of these philosophy courses. What personally, I didn't mind them. I like arguing with people. You know, I like to hear other people's worldviews, and that's really what philosophy is. And so, but really, we studied all of these different philosophers from different cultures and different time periods, and to hear their ideas, their worldviews on everything from life, the meaning of life, to death and afterlife. And I suppose, as I look back, that, in fact, I even shared one of my, my peers when he was very frustrated with all of this stuff that, hey, dude, this is good for all of us because once when you're a pastor, you know, maybe, you know, this is going to help you be a better pastor, minister to people and their needs. So that was a lie in, in my view. Um, and so, but I suppose that was the reason to equip the pastors to one day to when they face people and minister them who are dealing with difficult issues, etc., facing death, so on and so forth. I went through the seminary, and then I got my first church. It took me about five years to figure this out, that this idea of philosophy wasn't working. It's not working. Now, other things were good, but that area was not working, dealing with people that are going through life and death situations with families and what have you. It just wasn't working for me. And I was trying to connect it in many ways. Now, you would think what we had gone through before this, I'd figure that out. But see what happened. Here we go. Now I'm ranting and raving. I'm going down the path. I shouldn't go down. But here's the deal. Confessions. Now, I hope you people are going to love me after I say this. And when I entered seminary, I was full-blown charismatic. I was Pentecostal with capital letters. We didn't, amen, everybody. And I didn't do anything. We do anything without seeking the Spirit's guidance in every area of of our lives. So when I knew that God was calling me into the ministry, calling me in to be be baptized, to be uh, ordained as a Presbyterian, I knew what I had to do in order to, uh, you know. And in my view, seminary is is an academic exercise. In my opinion, if anyone was listening out there, so much of it, there's some good, but so much of it, about a bottom line, it, it really it it it, uh, it tests if you can get through. Pretty much, that's it. So I did. I studied hard. Things went well. But something happened in that time. Something happened to me. I was acquiring all of this head head knowledge. And out of all of this head knowledge, I started to lose something. 
the most important thing. I start losing my identity as a Christian. I start losing the gifts because I walked away from them. Everything was all the stuff that I shared with you and more. That stuck with me for about four or five years in ministry. I was so much into the other stuff. You know, you want to talk about this, that, and, you know, a philosophy or talk about this person, that person. If anything, head knowledge, whatever, let's talk about that. I can do that. Until we were in Princeton, Illinois. I'm getting, I'm getting some place with this, hopefully. And that is, I think probably every pastor, if you talk with them about their ministry and life or whatever, they're going to tell you, if you said to them, could you single out maybe two or three people or a group of people that really influenced you in your ministry, that you were ministering to in, in, your, you know, in your pews or chairs? One lady, I shared a little bit about her story. One lady. She was dying of cancer. I didn't know that at that time until her husband, who was, by the way, very active in the church. He was at church every Sunday. But his wife, through the years, she would drive the kids to Sunday school, go, you know, drive into the parking lot, drop them off, leave, and then come back and pick them up when Sunday school was over. She would not go into the church. She'd wait for the kids to come out. So he said to me, he said, Pastor, he said, could you visit my wife, Jan? He said, she's not churched, whatever, but she's struggling because she's dying with cancer. I said, sure. So then I thought to myself, okay, now let's go back and think about how we can, do I have to say the right theological things here or whatever? So I go into the house, and that's when Holy Spirit took over. I go into her house, Nice ladies, you know, uh, I sit down and I look. It was one of those clumsy moments. I looked around and right by her, her, her nightstand was a, a, a book written by Mike Ditka, former coach of the Chicago Bears. Of all things, I'm going, whoa, you got a book on the coach. And I said, so, I said, are you a Bear fan? Of course you are. I said, well, so am I. So we started sharing bear war stories together. That was my platform that God used for her to open up those doors because before that moment, she was uncomfortable with me. I was a pastor walking into her house. This is our point of connection, a worldly thing. But it was out of that that God was able to use me in her life, because that set a, a, a time of a strong relationship with this woman. And through that period, it was a short period of time, because she died within six months. And she came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And her world changed in an instant. She went from being fearful of her, of her death, to she's the one that said to me, Pastor, I'm going. I know that I'm dying. 
I know she's, but I just can't wait because I know it's on the other side. So she died not in fear, but in hope and great anticipation. My point is finding hope, finding hope in your life, finding hope in what you're going through, in your, whatever it is, finding hope really only comes through the amazing grace and power of the gospel. That's where you find it. That's what brought me back. That woman brought me, God used her to bring me back to him to be the person he called me to be. Does that make any sense to you? You know? And so I always, when I think of, when I think of, I think of her. Often I think of her because she was such an amazing person and really she never realized pretty much what she did for my faith. Every time I saw that woman, she built up my faith. When she was in Christ, it was an amazing thing. Anyway, okay. We're going to finish with number three, my third thought, life-changing conclusion. And we're looking at verse five. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul did not stop with a declaration, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. In verse 5, he reminds us he taught a deep faith, not grounded in human wisdom, but in the gospel power. He goes over and over again through these five, really, verses talking about God's power, God's power over our power, our knowledge. All available to those who truly seek Jesus Christ as Lord. The gospel is not, not only must be preached to the lost, but there also must be sound biblical preaching and teaching for growing in the faith and for the purpose of knowing God's will for you in your life. All all Bible truths and promises should point to this one important message. That this world needs to hear, understand, accept, and apply Christ and Him crucified. What we are going through, what you are going through in your life, you find your hope in Christ and Him crucified. Your direction should come from Christ and Him crucified. Your joy, Christ and Him crucified. Your peace, Christ and Him crucified. Your strength, Christ and Him crucified. Your being, your worth, your purpose, Christ and Him crucified. And then let's add and resurrected. That's it. I can't give you any more because I don't need to. It's all about Christ and Him crucified. You don't need the gestures. You don't need, as they taught us in seminary, you know, when to gesture. 
Oh yeah, when did Jen, if you want to make a strong point, throw it out there, but make sure that they get it. We don't need that because we have, all of us, be John or your teachers or whatever, when you teach a Bible study, whatever the case might be, you don't have to be so good. Just be open to the Holy Spirit because you are giving your people the greatest news ever, Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the game. None of us are heroes here. We have one hero, amen? Jesus. One hero, one Lord, one Savior. Jesus, it's all about him. One day, one day when you die, and you will, unless Jesus comes again, you are going to be standing before him. Not a pastor, not Billy Graham, not Paul, but Jesus. And you're going to love it. You're going to love it. And he's going to love you and love you and love you and love you and love you. And once I believe once, once I see my Lord, whoa, that's all I want to see. And then after I see my Lord for a while, then I get to see my family that died in Christ. And you well as well. Isn't that cool? So all the things, and then, you know, maybe, who knows, maybe you might think, boy, I'm really glad that back in the day that I really proclaimed Jesus to my family, my friends, whatever. That I really put my faith in him and followed him each and every day, even when I didn't feel like it. Now, it's all coming to fruition. It's all there. It's coming to life. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you, Lord. And I thank you, Jesus, so much for who you are. Thank you, Father, for your promises. Thank you, Jesus, for your truth. Thank you for inspiring Paul to write these words. Help us to live in your power. Help us, Lord, to see life through the lens of your eyes and your heart, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel. Help us, Lord, never to take it for granted. Help us, Lord, if we're struggling finding time in the Word with you alone, help us to find that time when we can grow in you, read your Word, even at times struggle with it, that's okay. But Lord, what a privilege it is to know you as our Lord and Savior. We love you. We love you. Stand with us. So one of the things that I was thinking about, that Jesus Christ crucified, I was thinking, wow, 
in the Old Testament, they didn't even know that their Messiah was going to be.